Good morning. It is impossible to adequately, adequately express the gratitude I feel when I'm here at Millington. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I grew up across the parking lot when the house was there before the new building was up. I consider this home. It's always great to be back in, in Millington, back in my stomping grounds at Basking Ridge. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to be with you guys this morning. If you would open up to Philippians 4, uh, whether on your Bible or on your phones, we're going to be doing a lot of looking down and looking up uh, as we finish our series in Philippians. So if you could open up to Philippians chapter 4, I'll catch up with you there in just a minute. Uh, so I'm a, a missionary, a world partner of uh, Millington Baptist, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that. But I'm, I'm curious if you can remember the first time a missionary asked you to give to their ministry. Don't worry, that's not all that my sermon is about, about asking you, but we will be talking about missional generosity. I'm curious, the first time someone asked you to give to their ministry. Uh, for me, missions was a familiar concept. Uh, growing up here at Millington, missions was, was a regular part of the life here, and it continues to be. I remember uh, hearing guest preachers who were missionaries come and preach. Uh, sometimes those missionaries would, would stay at our place uh, over in the parsonage. Uh, but it wasn't until I was in college that missionaries directly asked me to give to their ministry. Uh, this, this newlywed couple was going into campus ministry, and they, they took me to Five Guys, because they knew the way to my heart. And uh, they, they shared about the work that they would be doing, the, the impact that the gospel would have on college campuses, and they invited me to give financially to their ministry. Now, I was a sophomore in college. So I was racking up student loans, I was paying for textbooks, and I just had a, a small part-time job so I could have just a little spending money uh, while in school. And I was convinced that I simply didn't have enough to give to missions. And so I, I graciously declined. But here's the thing, I did have money to give. And I actually had a visual reminder of the money that I had to give in my dorm room. You see, my roommates and I had this shared activity that we loved to do on a weekly basis, and it was taking trips to Wawa. <laughs> Multiple times a week, honestly, an embarrassing amount of trips to Wawa. We would go either, you know, on the weekends or late night after studying, uh, and we would get Wawa subs all the time. Uh, some people call me Wawatkins. Uh, <laughs> because of my obsession with Wawa. And we were so obsessed with this uh, weekly routine that we would save the sub receipts that you would get from the, the kiosk and bring them when we you know, brought the sandwiches back to our dorm room. We, we started lining our dorm room with those receipts, taping them up on the wall. And it was a, a visual reminder of all the trips and all the empty calories that we consumed with our ritual. But as I think back to that display of receipts, which by the end of the year was lining my dorm room, it's also a visual reminder to me that I could have been giving to missions. It would have been uh, somewhat of a meager amount, but I could have supported that missionary couple had I wanted to. Uh, the reality is I just didn't have a vision for it. I didn't understand the joy of missional giving. Now, by God's grace, my heart and my wallet have changed since I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I still love Wawa sandwiches, but I do have a healthier and broader palate these days than when I was in college. 
Uh, but while many things have changed, I still have a similar battle that goes on in my heart, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you do as well. Uh, so often, I want to spend money on myself and my own comfort rather than giving to the work of the gospel. And I think it's a, a, a reality that we all face, but my hope today, my hope this morning is to remind us all of the joy of giving to the mission of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we can't use money to enjoy life and, and be grateful for the gifts that God has given us, but it's, it's to grow in opening our hands and our hearts and our wallets to joyfully give to gospel work. And the point of the passage in Philippians 4, the point of our passage today is this, we are supplied by God's means in order to give to God's mission. We're supplied by God's means to give to God's mission. And there's something particularly exciting to me about today's passage. You see, uh, Paul was a missionary, and the Philippian church was one of his most significant supporting churches. Uh, now, one of the most basic ways to understand the letter to the Philippians is that it's actually a ministry newsletter. Now, Paul did give some encouragements. He reminded uh, the Philippians to, to be citizens of the kingdom, to live out the gospel. Um, but he was also writing to thank the Philippian church for their financial support, as we're, we're going to see. And that's how this letter ends. And so this is why I'm excited. Maybe you're, you're catching on. Paul, a missionary of the Philippian church, is thanking them for their support. And I have the privilege of being a missionary, a world partner of this church, to thank you, not just for your support of our ministry, but all of your world partners. And so I'm excited to talk about this partnership that we have to reach the nations for the gospel. So uh, we're talking about money today. <laughs> we're talking about giving. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, or you've never really thought about the vision of, of missional giving before, I trust that this passage uh, will, will equip you and give you a vision for radical generosity. Uh, I imagine that many of you are already on board with missional giving. I know that many of you are. Um, but it's so easy to treat it like a trip to the dentist. It's something that you know you have to do, but maybe you don't take joy and delight in. But I trust that this passage will stir up and deepen your delight in generosity. And for those of you who already joyfully give, and I know there are several of you, I think that this passage will pump you up even more to keep giving to the work of the gospel. So let's, pr uh, let's read the passage, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going we're to dig into it. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we believe that you created all things by the power of your word. When you speak, things happen. And so as we hear your words today from Philippians 4, we ask that you would breathe new life into our souls. In your son's name we pray, amen. So as I mentioned, the thrust of this passage is missional generosity. But in order to understand the the joy of giving that Paul lays out for us, we need to remember what God has given to us. So let's first look at this reminder that we're supplied by God's means. So the, the context of this entire section is giving and receiving. The Philippians' support of Paul's ministry him receiving their support with joy and gratitude. And as he discusses this, Paul provides us with a framework for how we ought to view our money and our resources and belongings. And we first need to recognize God's provision. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding us of what we confess to be true. God is the supplier of all of our needs. And did you notice that God is not operating on a tight budget? His bank account is overflowing with abundance. Look at what he said in verse 19. According to his riches, God is lavish with his provision for his people. But in case we might think that this provision for God, from God is just this blank check that we just get whatever we want, Paul actually gives us a window into what that looks like in the day-to-day. Did you notice how, how God supplied the needs for Paul, for Paul's financial situation? Look at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, Paul is talking about finding contentment in any financial situation. Yes, God is our provider. He is a rich and generous supplier, but that doesn't guarantee that we're always going to get what we want. And it doesn't guarantee that we're always going to have what we feel we need. What it does mean is that we can look to the Lord and trust him as our provider in any and every circumstance. Whether it's a season of want or wealth, of surplus or scarcity, we look to God as the one who provides all things. And so before we talk about giving, we need to understand what we've been given and recognize our giver. It reminds me of of an allowance. I don't know how it was for you growing up or you parents, how you guys have structured the way that you give your kids money. But when I was a kid, uh, we got a weekly allowance. That was loosely tied to chores, but not really. Uh, And it was basically a generous expectation that our parents were going to give us uh, a certain amount of money that that increased as we got older. 
uh, and would only be withheld if we did something that deserved consequences, which for me was pretty regular. <laughs> but uh, the, the point of it was so that our parents could instill in us uh, an, an idea of what it means to have money, to save money, to spend money, to have some sense of ownership over the things that we, we bought and wanted. But how silly would it have been if I saved up money and, and went to Toys R Us or Walmart and, and got a toy and then just boasted in my financial accomplishment? That'd be ridiculous. The only reason I could afford to get anything was because my parents were willing to generously provide me with resources. And the same is true about anything and everything that we own. Anything you have is an allowance from your creator. That doesn't mean that you haven't worked hard for it. It doesn't mean that you haven't earned it through long hours in the office. But it does mean that God is the ultimate provider of the resources. They are gifts to be grateful for, resources to be stewarded wisely and well. We're supplied by God's means. So as we recognize God's provision... Paul also challenges us and shows us the need to rely on God's strength. Notice that in the heart of this recognition of God's supply, Paul brings up this idea of contentment. That's what he says in uh, verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And you might have picked up on this in verse 13, Uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You probably, I mean, many of you probably memorized that verse. You could could recall it by memory. Uh, If you remember Tim Tebow playing college football, he would have the eye black with Philippians 4.13. If you know the name Steph Curry, basketball player, I've heard that he writes some version of Philippians 4.13 or a similar idea on his shoes for every game. Uh, Don't do this now, but maybe when you go home, go Google uh, Philippians 4.13 and look at the images. There's like uh, images of guys mountain climbing, and I actually saw there's a picture of this ant holding this really big piece of wood, (laughs) Philippians 4.13. (laughs) You know, we we use it to pump ourselves up maybe for a hard meeting, or you want to ask for a raise, or there's just a difficult situation. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And, And it's true that we do need to rely on the Lord for anything and everything. But this is not just some pump-up spiritual slogan for winning basketball games or enduring difficult uh, meetings. What the context is all about is financial contentment. Paul is talking about relying on the Lord for strength in poverty and in wealth. The all things in verse 13 is referring to what he just said in verse 12, which is facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We rely on the Lord for all things, but Philippians 4.13, the all things is contentment in any financial situation. And isn't it interesting that he talks about both extremes of financial situations? I mean, you would expect him to say, yeah, when I really needed a lot, when I was hungry, uh, when my bank account was getting, you know, really thin, I needed to learn contentment. You would expect that. But he also talks about contentment when he was speaking of abundance. Why would he do that? I mean, think about it. No matter your financial situation, it is easy to always find someone who has more than you. 
It is easy to always find something that you think might make you feel better or more comfortable or more safe. Contentment is an issue no matter your income. And Paul is saying that we must rely on the Lord's strength to find contentment. And just to make the connection between contentment and generosity, financial discontentment stifles missional generosity. Because if, if I don't think I have enough, I'm not going to be willing to give up what I currently have. If I don't think I have enough, I, I may give, but I might do it begrudgingly, not joyfully. But when we rely on the Lord to find and cultivate contentment in what he has given us, it allows us to give freely, abundantly, and joyfully. So rely on God's strength to be content with what he's given you. Now, let me just provide a, a brief caveat. That doesn't mean that God doesn't expect you to ask and to express your needs to him. It's okay that, to ask him for more. It's okay to lament the situations where it feels like God's not providing for the ways that you want him to. However, we can, through those situations, wrestle with the Lord to trust him and be content in what he's given us. So recognize God's provision, rely on God's strength, but that is ultimately fueled by this, remembering God's grace. Look at verse 19. Again, how he ends the verse. He says, God will supply every need of yours to, uh, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a very, very common phrase that Paul loves to use all over the place. He actually uses it down in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not just like this, this empty phrase that Paul just likes to litter into his letters so it just sounds more Christian. <laughs> This phrase is packed with meaning and significance. He's saying God is going to supply your needs in Christ Jesus. What he's doing is reminding the Philippian church of the life-changing, shocking, incredible news of the gospel. What Paul is doing is, is as he's talking about God's provision, he's reminding uh, the, the Philippian church, and by extension us, of the riches that have been given to us through Jesus Christ. The gospel is this, that Jesus gave up his riches, that he became poor so that we might be wealthy in the kingdom of God. And not financial wealth, but something so much better than financial wealth, because we can't bring our money beyond the grave. The inheritance that's given to us, the riches in Christ are so abundant that they carry over in the life to come. In Jesus you have been given an eternal inheritance. You are a son or a daughter of the king. In other words, God's provision for you is so much more than financial provision. God does not just compensate you as an employee. He provides for you as a child. You are not compensated merely as God's employee you are provided for as God's kid. If you are in Christ, you are in the family of God. You've been adopted, and that adoption is eternal, and your inheritance is rich and overflowing. And God's grace is a far more powerful motivator than, uh, than what we're used to in our culture these days. 
Uh, have you noticed that almost <laughs> everywhere you go these days, uh, when you're checking out, there's an expectation that you might tip? Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, now, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm, you know, critiquing all of that, but uh, it's like everywhere, you know, everywhere you cash out, there's like, do you want a tip? Do you want a tip? Do you want a tip? And what happens? You, have, you feel like there's someone watching over your shoulder, or you're, you're staring at the cashier face to face, and you're like, oh no, I'm going to be stingy. Oh no, I'm going to have to put zero again. It's just like this, this overwhelming guilt whenever you buy anything these days. Now, don't get me wrong. Christians ought to lead the way in generosity. But so often the way that we are motivated towards generosity is by guilt and peer pressure or wanting to look like a good person. But there is a much deeper and much more, power motivator, more powerful motivator for generosity, the grace of God. Because the grace of God is a promise that you do not need to earn your status as a child of God. You do not earn your way to heaven by obedience or by being a better person, or by giving generously. Your status before the king is already perfectly acceptable. And so our generosity is not motivated by guilt, peer pressure, or performance. We are generous because God has been graciously generous to us. We give as a response to his grace. So recognize his provision. Rely on his strength and remember God's grace. Before we can talk about giving, we need to realize what we've been given. And God's provision in our lives, though abundant and amazing, is not meant to terminate on our needs alone. Our giving, or, or, or what we've been given, is meant to overflow into missional generosity. We're supplied by God's means in order to give to God's mission. And this is the heart of the passage. And this is what I'm really excited about. As a missionary, as one who has been a recipient of your generosity, uh, get ready to buckle up, because this is exciting. We are given to in order to give to God's mission. And, and Paul points to several ways that our giving can have an impact. And the first is this. Your giving provides for missionaries. It first provides for missionaries practical needs. Look back in the text. Look at verse 16. Paul says that even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Then he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So uh, remember where Paul's at in this situation. Paul's in prison. And back then, when you're in prison, you didn't have state-funded um, supplies. You needed to rely on people outside to give you what you needed. So, for instance, food or clothing. And we see, you might recognize this, this guy, verse 18, Epaphroditus. I've never met someone named Epaphroditus. Maybe we can make that a, a common name moving forward. He was mentioned earlier at the end of chapter 2, but Epaphroditus was the guy who brought the gifts to Paul in prison. There's no, no delivery service. Amazon Prime wasn't something that Paul could have clicked on. You needed a delivery man, a friend to bring the goods, and, and that was Epaphroditus. And he, he brought this abundant supply of Paul's practical needs for the ministry that he had given himself to. And for Paul, the cost of ministry was high. He depended on the generosity of others. And that was 
enabling him to give his full time, his entire life, to the work of the gospel. And what was true about Paul and the Philippians is true about you guys today. You provide for missionaries. I had the privilege of reaching out to a bunch of world partners from Millington Baptist. I just wanted to to get a sense of of what God was doing and and to hear their stories of um, your generosity towards them. And I heard uh, numerous stories of uh, of you guys opening up your homes, of uh, providing car rides to the airport. Uh, One world partner mentioned that Millington helped them replace their car out on the mission field. Uh, Another missionary said this, that NBC has been one of my most faithful, generous, and long-standing ministry partners. And, And friends, here's the reality. Your giving cares practically for missionaries and ministers, allowing them to devote their full-time career to the work of the gospel. It allows for their needs to be met so they can, fer- they can focus on the work of the kingdom. Well done. Keep giving. It also provides for missionaries' personal needs. It's not just practical, but personal needs. Look at the personal needs that Paul had in verse 14. He says this, It was kind of you to share my trouble. He says in verse 15, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Put yourself in Paul's shoes, what he's talking about. The loneliness of being rejected by a lot of people who claimed to be in the same family as him. In this letter and many other letters, Paul talks about the difficulties, the suffering, the persecution, the anxiety that he had in ministry. And the reality is this, and and I know that you know this in your own lives, life is hard. Ministry is difficult. The mission field can be really lonely. And so your giving is not just financing the operation. It's partaking in the trouble of ministers and missionaries around the world. That's what Paul says in verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Literally translated, that means to take fellowship in my affliction. That's what your giving does. Again, some stories from some world partners. Uh, Someone mentioned uh, just the simplicity of getting Christmas cards and birthday cards. Uh, One missionary talked about how his wife uh, became a Christian through Millington Baptist, but was the first of her family and was rejected by her parents. And Millington took her under their wing, and then she became a missionary of Millington. Uh, I heard from another missionary that Millington was one of the first churches to take on support when she began 25 years ago. For my wife and I, Millington has been partners with us for the last 11 years. I heard from another missionary that it's been 40 years, decades and decades and decades of this church sharing in the trouble and the personal needs of people around the world. And if I could just share personally uh, just about the, the sorrows and difficulties of life, I mean, there's, there's been many in the last 10 years, but many of you know in 2018, we lost our firstborn son, Eli. And I can't tell you how much help you guys provided 
simply by being present, even though you were two and a half hours away. It was your generosity and your prayers that carried us through the storms of loss and grief. Your giving provides in powerful and personal ways. You are not merely financing a ministry. You are bearing the burdens of missionaries around the world. Well done. Keep giving. I can say on behalf of my family and behalf of all Millington's world partners, it has been kind of you to share our trouble. So while providing for missionaries is an incredible gift to the ministers and the world partners, the biblical vision is so much bigger than just providing for missionaries. Your giving also produces kingdom fruit. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's saying, I'm really thankful that you're providing for my needs, but that's not ultimately what I'm rejoicing about. I'm rejoicing about the fruit that is coming from your generosity. Do you notice where Paul lands himself in the work of God there? He's just a middleman. He's working out in the field, and there's fruit that's coming, and he's saying this fruit is increasing to your credit. You're getting the credit for the lives that are being saved and changed. Paul is saying that uh, it's because of your generosity that this is happening. And did you pick up on the fruit that is happening? You might have glossed over it because we we treat the end of letters as like the, the rolling credits after a movie. But look at verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Did you catch the significance of what he just said? Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at that point. People who worked for Caesar had become Christians. He's saying that's the fruit of the gospel. And yeah, I'm out here, I'm sharing the gospel, but the fruit of that, the the, the gospel advancing further than we could have ever imagined, that is getting credited to your account for your generosity. You see, here's the beauty of the economy of God's kingdom. The return on your investment for missional giving is so much greater than anything on Bitcoin or the stock market or your IRAs can provide. The return on your investment in the mission of God is an eternal revenue. Lives are being changed and souls are being saved around the world. And again, I've been doing some reading. And NBC's world partners are up to some amazing things. And you guys are impacting the world in significant ways. Would you be alright if I just shared a, a little bit of a glimpse into what God is doing? Let's start with the different places. So first and foremost, here in Basking Ridge, your tithing and your generosity to Millington Baptist Church is allowing the pastors and staff and faculty to make this a place where the gospel is, is impacting this community. Uh, if you expand out a little bit, there's, there's ministries and missionaries in Newark. There's uh, missionaries in, in Pennsylvania over in Lancaster, South Carolina, Michigan, Colorado, Georgia, Oregon. That's just America. You ready for the nations represented? Got to take a breath for this. Philippines, 
Senegal, Romania, Ukraine, France, Germany, Austria, Japan, Kenya, Cambodia, Afghanistan, Thailand, Turkey, Indonesia. Several campus ministries that are reaching college campuses and reaching international students and sending students to the nations. I probably missed some, so the missions committee can correct me and maybe send out uh, a correction email. And that's not even considering the missionaries and organizations that you support individually. That's just Millington's world partners. But listen to the different ministries that are happening around the world. Educating missionary kids, ministering to those caught in prostitution, serving those who struggle with addiction, planting churches in unchurched areas, equipping pastors all over the world, developing ways to transmit the gospel over the radio, serving people who are in prison, sharing the gospel through ESL classes, serving refugees and sharing Christ with them, sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard the name of Jesus, and discipling believers in order to send them out as missionaries so that all the nations might be reached. That's the joy of missional giving. That's the impact that your generosity is having. And like I said, that doesn't even account for all the missionaries and organizations that you support as families and individuals. And let me get real, uh, even just hone in on, on what's happening even through our ministry. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with a student. So I'm in campus ministry, go to secular college campuses, and at our end of the year conference, there's this guy who's really wrestling with whether or not he actually wanted to give his life to Christ. He had heard the gospel uh, growing up, but now he realized that it might cost him something to follow Jesus. And so I, I shared with him, I was like, you, you need to wrestle with that. Jesus says, leave everything and follow me. 24 hours later, after he had time to pray and seek counsel and really press into the Lord, he came up to me and hugged me, and he said, it's worth it. That's just one simple story of what's happening all over the world. That men and women all over the world are saying, it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus because of what he's done for me. And your giving is producing that sort of kingdom fruit. So well done. Keep giving and keep being generous. Your giving provides for missionaries. It produces kingdom fruit. And, and finally, I think the deepest joy of all is that missional generosity pleases the Lord. Look at verse 18. Paul says that the gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A few things about that verse. Notice the Old Testament language. A sacrificial gift, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. What Paul is uh, illustrating for us is that as you give, it's a priestly sacrifice. You are participating in ministry as you give. But he also says it's a sacrifice. You know, we can get all pumped up and I can lose my breath up here talking about what God is doing. But at the end of the day, giving is a sacrifice. It's costly. And Paul and the Lord recognize that it's costly. But it's a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. When you give to the mission of God, it pleases the Lord. Now, yes, he is perfectly pleased in you because of Jesus Christ, but he delights when his children step out in faith and obedience and sacrifice. 
And here's the thing. There will not be a lot of people who applaud you for giving to missions. There's going to be a lot of people who think you're crazy. Not many people are going to know how much you give to missions. Most of this type of generosity will go unseen and unknown. However, there is someone who's watching. You are generous before an audience, a heavenly audience, applauding you when you are generous and sacrificial for the sake of the kingdom of God. It pleases the Lord when you sacrificially give. So let me end by giving you just three practical applications to spur you on towards further generosity. The first is this, remember your missionaries. Remember your missionaries. Real practically, read their newsletters. I know we get a ton of emails, get a ton of newsletters. We are just constantly flooded with information and updates and appeals for more giving. But this is the work that's happening around the world. These are the missionaries you support. So read their newsletters. Reach out to them and ask them how they're doing. I know down in the Fellowship Hall, there's a display that's being finished uh, for the world partners. Regularly go and check out where your world partners are and what is happening. Uh, one, one thing that, that I've been wrestling with recently, actually because of this passage, is um, the reality of automatic giving. It is a great gift. I don't know about you, I am forgetful with all types of bills <laughs> and giving. So to be able to just you know, set up that automatic giving, that's great. And as missionaries, we love it too. Uh, it just makes things simple and seamless. But the trade-off is you can kind of forget where your money's going to. So yeah, keep the automatic giving, that's awesome. But figure out ways to keep missionaries in, in front of your face or uh, you know, on your refrigerator in your office. So recently, my wife and I, we, we printed out a piece of paper that has all the organizations and missionaries that we support so that we can remember them and pray for them. And let me just shout out the, uh, uh, the missions committee here. If you are not familiar with who's on the missions committee, um, get familiar with them and thank them because they do an amazing job caring for us world partners. They're awesome. So thank the missions committee, and I thank you, missions committee, for the work that you do for us. Second, share missionaries' burdens. Uh, ask the missionaries, hey, what are you facing? How can I pray for you? I, I know we're giving, but is there anything else that we can do? Um, let me just give you a little secret to missionaries. No one goes into missions work because they love fundraising. <laughs> I, I haven't met a missionary who's like, yeah, I, I went into missions because I just wanted to ask people for money. <laughs> That's just not a reality. I mean, we, we, we understand the vision of it. We enjoy having world partners um, but it is such a blessing when people initiate with us and say, hey, is there anything we can do to help? Hey, we have, some, we have you know, some more freedom in our budget. We would love to give more. There's always more that can be done through our ministries, and so uh, initiate with, with your missionaries, but go beyond that. Ask them how you can pray. What challenges do they face? What are the ways that you can bear their burdens, even from a distance? And finally, celebrate God's work. When you hear about what God is doing, rejoice in the work of the gospel. It's so easy for our eyes to glaze over and for our heads to hunker down in the day-to-day -day mundane realities of life. But missions work 
is a reminder to us that God is real, that God is working, and that lives are being changed and saved. And so when you hear about that, rejoice that God is using your allowance to impact the nations for the sake of the gospel. We're supplied by God's means to give to God's mission. As the worship team comes back up, I just wanted to remind you and and end on recognizing that this is a worthwhile sacrifice. You remember my Wawa receipts lining my dorm room? Well, God is actually doing something similar and something much more beautiful than Wawa subs and receipts. What God is doing through the work of missions here and around the world is saving souls and sanctifying his children. God is lining the walls of heaven with receipts of souls that have been saved. And those receipts have your name on them as people who helped purchase and bring those people to the work in the blood of Jesus Christ. So thank God for your generosity. Keep giving. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are our provider and the supplier of all that we need. God, I pray for those of us who are in situations of hunger and want and need. Would you come near to them? Would you provide for them? Would you listen to their cries for mercy and provision? And God, for all of us, would you help us be grateful and content relying on your strength and remembering your grace to recognize that what we have is an allowance to be used for the sake of your glory and your kingdom. God, help us to be cheerful and joyful and lavish and scandalous in our generosity because we know that there's more to life than the things that we can own and have. Help us to rejoice in the work that you're doing. And thank you, God, for the partnership that you have given me and the other world partners through Millington Baptist. In your son's name we pray. Amen.